Hello and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard. I pastor Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah. Thank you for joining me. Today we are continuing our series going through the New Testament based on the schedule made by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for the Come Follow Me Sunday School curriculum. It's a schedule that's been made for members of that organization to go through the New Testament in a year. And today that brings us to Luke 18. It is for the week of May 8th through the 14th, covering Mark, Matthew rather 19 and 20, Mark 10, and Luke 18. Today we'll just be looking at Luke 18 so you can get some thoughts from the perspective of a Bible church pastor, if that is something that you might find interesting. Well, Luke 18 is a sweet chapter of the Bible. There are a couple of parables in there where Jesus talks about the persistent widow, and the point of that parable is to encourage his disciples to pray in faith. You can find out about that parable in Luke 18, 1 through 8. Starting in verse 18, Jesus has this interaction with the rich young ruler, and that's, of course, a pretty interesting, famously interesting interchange where this man says he's kept all the commandments and Jesus tells him to sell all of his stuff. Well, that leads to him walking away sad. So that's uh, an interesting, very interesting passage that you should read. You should uh, check that out. Well, in between those, we have this story, this parable that Jesus tells about a Pharisee and a publican. A publican is like a tax collector in Israel, someone who did just that, going around collecting people's taxes, often charging them more than what they actually owed, keeping some for himself. And as you can imagine, these people were not looked upon favorably by the greater society, but publicans, tax collectors were kind of like the scourge of the culture. No one really appreciated them or respected them. No one thought much of these guys. On the other hand, as we've been learning through the Gospels here, the Pharisees were seen as the best of the best. They were the religious elite. They were closest to God. They lived outwardly clean lives, and they expressed their dominance over everyone else by the way that they performed religious rituals. So you have in this parable really two ends of the spectrum. On the one side, a nasty, dirty publican, tax collector, someone that everyone kind of hates seeing. And then on the other side, you have this Pharisee, a source of comfort for society, someone who could be consulted in matters of religion when you want to know the truth, when you want to know what's going on with God, he's the one you go to. So you got a a tax collector, gross, Pharisee, super awesome, great religious guy. And now Jesus unloads a parable about these two. And this is really, really, really good stuff. But let's just uh, consider the first verse of this passage, verse 9 of Luke 18 where it says, He also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So let's put a pin in it right there. 
This is a parable that he's about to tell. The one that is going to follow this verse is a parable that Jesus is telling. So he's not recounting uh, a literal story. He's using an illustration with his imagination, using a parable here. And he's telling it to certain people, and we actually get a description of this audience. This parable is being told to some people who trusted in themselves. And what does that mean? Well, it says right here that they were righteous. People who are trusting in their own righteous behavior, their own righteous cred that they've earned with God, their own righteous works, religious deeds to earn favor with God, that is where their faith lies, is in their own ability to perform, basically. People who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Now, in our society today, with people like that, we usually, generally speaking, don't make that big of a deal out of it. Like, well, they're just very religious people. You know, you see people that are really devoted to their religion, and it's common for people just to say, well, that's great for them. Bless their heart. You know, they're just doing their best, you know. Well, that's not the view Jesus had of such people. That could be kind of alarming, right? Like, what do you mean? I mean, isn't Jesus like the religion guy? Isn't he pro-religion? How could Jesus say that's bad? Well, the problem is when people are in a works righteousness system of religion, which is every religion outside of biblical Christianity, those people will inevitably what? They will trust in themselves. They will trust in their own righteousness. Instead of embracing the biblical gospel, which can be found in numerous places, but for our purposes here, I'll say Philippians 3, particularly verse 9, the biblical gospel that says that there's a righteousness that comes by faith in Christ, the very righteousness of God gets imputed to the believer on the basis of faith, not on the basis of themselves, not on the basis of your own works, not on the basis of human effort. That's the biblical gospel that says salvation is a gift, total, full salvation, you know, exaltation, everything included in that, that's full salvation, that that's a gift to be received by faith. Those who reject that, which again, every world religion outside of biblical Christianity Those people who participate in those religions end up trusting in themselves because they are in a system of having to earn their own righteousness. And Jesus hates this. God hates this. He is very unimpressed with the sinner who thinks that he can clean the outside of the cup and be on good terms with his maker. And that's really all religious effort is whenever you are told that you are to earn your own salvation. It's all you can ever do is clean the outside of the cup because the root of sin goes so deep and you're never going to be able to pull that out of yourself. You're stuck with it. You can't change your own heart. And the reality is you need a heart change. So God hates systems of works righteousness. That's not the gospel at all. And so Jesus here is telling this parable to people who have rejected the gospel. They've rejected 
being justified by faith alone, being on good terms with God on the basis of faith. And instead, they have embraced a system where they are earning favor with God by appearing very religious and having all the people in the society think that they're awesome. And so they they think God is like a man. He'll just look at them and say, yeah, you are awesome. That's not what God does with that. He takes such people whenever they pass from this life and into judgment, and he, he judges them strictly, and they will have their place in the lake of fire because they have rejected the grace of God. They've rejected the free gift of God. They have sinned and added sin upon sin by trying to fix their pride with self-righteousness, which is like, you know, using a, a broken wrench to fix a broken wrench. And uh, they are in a terrible, terrible position because they trust in themselves rather than in God. So uh, that's a lot to take in here, isn't it? Here at the beginning. That's who Jesus is telling this parable to. To some people who trust in themselves, they trust in their own righteousness. And additionally, they viewed others with contempt. And these two things go hand in hand. People who trust in their own righteousness will inevitably view other people with contempt. Other people will never be good enough. Other people will be judged by these standards that these men have constructed because they're playing this game where they have to stack up, pile up, accumulate their own righteousness. And so they're making up rules, they're defining terms in their own particular way so they can rig the system to make themselves look good. And anybody else who doesn't play their game that they've made is going to be judged. They're going to be viewed with contempt. There's just like no gospel in this. There's no grace in this. There's no mercy. There's no kindness in any of this. It is just a really sick and twisted system, isn't it? That's who Jesus is addressing. He's addressing this type of person, the religious person who has rejected salvation by grace through faith. Now, we should probably get into the parable, shouldn't we? All right. Verse 10. This is his parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Wow. Interesting parable, isn't it? He, again, is among those who trust in their own righteousness, and he tells this parable about two ends of the spectrum, a Pharisee on one end And the people listening to this parable automatically identify with the Pharisee. Okay, they're they're hearing the setup. They they hear who the two characters are, the first character of the Pharisee. They don't even need to hear who the second guy is because they're already in the Pharisee's corner. 
But Jesus goes ahead and tells them who's in the other corner, the tax collector. So um, if there was any doubt that his crowd would be supporting the Pharisee, well, all that doubt's gone now because a tax collector, really? Those who are righteous in their own religious deeds certainly are not going to back a tax collector in this competition of, you know, who's the good guy. So um, from the very first line here, Jesus's audience is all about this Pharisee uh, being shown to be the good guy in the parable. And the Pharisee's prayer is, of course, a caricature. Um, Perhaps some people truly did pray that way. And Jesus wasn't actually, you know, stretching reality too much here as far as what comes out of people's mouths. Maybe he was just like even quoting somebody he had heard before. When the Pharisee prays that, you know, God, I thank you. And really, is this you being thankful to God? Well, no, it's not. It's you showing everyone you're a self-made man when you go on to say, I am not like other people. And he lists their sins, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even the tax collector. Instead of those things, I fast twice a week and pay tithes of everything that I get. So perhaps not everyone prays that way or or prayed that way in Jesus's day. And I know today it'd be pretty rare to hear someone pray that way out loud. But how many people's hearts have this very sentiment in it? How many religious people exist out there? who in their hearts are just full of self-righteousness like this. I am so good. Wow, God, thank you so much that I'm awesome and that I'm not like you know, dirty sinners. I'm not like the, the dirty people who think the wrong way, who do the wrong things, who say the wrong things. Thank you so much that I'm not like them. Hmm, is that a good prayer? No, no, it's not. Because what it is is just totally being consumed with the way you see yourself. Now, I I do want to stop and and pause for a brief second to think about something here. Notice in this prayer when he says, I think you I'm not like other people, and he lists these things, swindlers, the unjust, the adulterers. It's true, of course, that these are sins, Those who are swindlers, those who cheat other people, those who cheat on their spouses, all that kind of stuff, they are engaging in sin. They're practicing sin, that sinful behavior flowing out of a sinful heart. And it's absolutely true that that is unacceptable behavior before God. God is holy and does not approve of those things. So let's, you know, make that clear. But consider what this Pharisee is doing with truth. The Pharisee has that truth. He has the law of God. He knows these things are sins. And yet he doesn't identify as a sinner, it seems. He doesn't identify as someone who needs to be forgiven. Instead, he only sees the sin in other people because, you know, those sins aren't his sins. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's true that, you know, the a Pharisee in a situation like this had never practiced those some of those sins. Like the Pharisee that Jesus has in this parable, if we're going to give him some historical background as a fictional character in the parable, he probably never was a swindler. He probably never was an adulterer, right? 
Uh, however, he has sinned. They're just different sins. He looks at others who have more outwardly evident sinful behavior, and he thanks God that he's not like them, implying that he's fine, implying that as a Pharisee, he's got his bases covered. So he has taken truth and twisted it and tried to use it to his own advantage. Even when he says that he fasts twice a week and he pays tithes of all that he gets, you know, those are obviously positive things for a Jew to be doing in the first century. Uh, There's an aspect of obeying what God has said. There's even an aspect of going beyond what God has said to be more sacrificial with your living in all of that. Uh, Yet he's proclaiming it out loud and saying to all those who are in earshot, listen to how cool I am, how great of a religious guy I am. And he has taken truth and twisted it and made it all about his personal righteousness. Well, um, the other man in the story, the tax collector, the publican, he takes truth also and does something different with truth. It's a very short summation. It's just one verse. Jesus says the tax collector, standing some distance away, hmm, don't you love that that little factoid is in there as a part of the parable? Jesus made sure to say that this tax collector was standing some distance away, probably feeling unworthy, feeling as though he doesn't fit in, feeling ostracized because the Pharisee just pointed him out, saying, I'm glad I'm not like this tax collector. Well, he was unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven because of deep remorse over sin, a brokenness, a contrition over his sin. Instead, he was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He was convicted of his sin and beating his breast, like hitting himself in the chest. I mean, it's a sign of contrition. And he appeals to God's mercy. He doesn't appeal to his own righteousness. He doesn't ask for a way to work himself out of this. He doesn't put any hope in himself, past, present, or future here. But he relies totally, completely on the mercy of God, saying, God, Be merciful to me, the sinner. Not just a sinner, but the sinner. That's how he kind of characterizes himself here. He's not just a sinner, he's the sinner. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. So what truth did this tax collector have? Well, he had the truth that there is only one God, one creator of all things, that God is, and he is in control of all things, and he's holy. I think he grasped this, didn't he? He grasped the truth that he was obligated to God. Because remember, Jesus started this parable by saying these two men, the Pharisee and the tax collector, they went up to the temple to pray. So he felt a sense of obligation to go to the temple and to pray to God. He had the truth, the reality, that he himself is a sinner that he himself is to be judged for his sin, that he, he had a, a conviction about him, that he is obligated toward God, but that he's blown it. 
and that he was to be judged rightly by a holy God because of the vile sin in his life. And he also recognized that he needed God's mercy for this whole situation to be reconciled. Again, he was not appealing to anything he had done, was doing, or would be able to do. He went outside of himself and asked God for mercy, that God would supply mercy to the situation to remedy his condition. Not that there's anything he could have done to rescue himself, but he cast his cares upon God himself. He threw himself at the feet of the Lord, essentially, and said, be merciful to me. So you see how both of these men had truth going on, but they had two very different responses as far as what they did with truth. The Pharisee, with truth, made it all about him and made it all about his own righteousness and tried to create a new gospel, essentially, that he would be righteous on his own merit. The tax collector, on the other hand, recognized that there was nothing he could do to remedy his condition, nothing he could do to save himself, that there was no service he could perform, no covenants he could keep, no ordinances he could carry out that would save him. Instead, he knew he needed totally, completely God's grace in order to be saved. And look at Jesus's response. In light of these two actions by these two men, Jesus says, I tell you, this man, meaning the tax collector, went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Two men go to the temple. Only one of them leaves justified. And that's really the issue is... uh, being justified. To be justified means to be declared innocent, pronounced innocent by God himself. For God to look at a person and say, you are not guilty, but you are innocent, you are free, you are uh, approved and accepted. Well, you've got the, the Pharisee listing all the reasons why he should be justified, and he did not go home justified. And you have the tax collector, which from all human perspectives here, if we're just looking from an earthly perspective, just thinking with our flesh, we would say there's no reason why he should go home justified. But you see, God's system here, the way God has set this up, is for men to be justified by grace through faith. That righteousness, mercy, grace, all these things we need would come to us from the outside not be generated from the inside, but would come to us from the outside and cleanse us, heal us, reconcile us to God, and make us whole, complete, mature in God's sight. And, you know, would here's our word, would make us justified before God. That we would no longer stand before Him with Him as our judge, but that we would stand before Him with Him as our Savior. If we trust in him and what he has done. Now, I want to finish this by reading the next three verses that follow and then talking about the gospel. 
Jesus said, right after telling this parable, and they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking him. Jesus called for them saying, permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. So again, he's teaching on the place of humility, rejecting a prideful evaluation of yourself, rejecting a system of self-righteousness, but instead coming to God like a child. So this is a childlike faith that's being talked about here, not childishness, but childlikeness. And there is a difference between the two. And that's what Jesus is calling for. If you were to be saved today, it would be because you have approached God with childlike faith, a faith that trusts in him completely, just as little children trust in their parents totally. Uh, They're absolutely dependent on their parents. So we too have to go to God with that kind of faith. And we do so with the knowledge of the gospel, the works of Christ, knowing what he has done, and we trust in what he has done on our behalf. We don't go to him with our own self-sufficiency and say, accept me on the basis of how sufficient I am on my own. You see the difference here? That's what the Pharisee is doing in the parable. But Jesus says we have to go to God with childlike faith, a faith that stretches out its hands and says, I got nothing. Like a child, a two-year-old, someone, you know, one of those puffy diaper little little children, snot coming out of their nose, uh, scratches, just a, a mess, a smoldering crater behind them because, you know, they just wrecked something. Crying, running to mom or to dad, outstretched arms, because there's nothing that child can do to remedy the situation. That is the way that we must go to God. We have to reject the system of works that man creates that says, here, do this, do that, go up the staircase, and then you'll arrive at full salvation because God will see that you are sufficient in and of yourself. That is a twisting of truth. Instead, we are to take the truth that God gives us in the Bible, and we are to appeal to him in faith, knowing that Jesus, the man who is God, died in our place for our sins, was buried and rose again and ascended on high, that all who trust in him would be saved from the moment of their initial belief when they're converted, they're born again, they will be carried by God through this life as his children, and they are absolutely forever saved. There is nothing left for them to do to earn anything with God. They can't earn salvation. They can't earn exaltation. They can't earn any more favor from God, but they have all of the favor of God on their account, resting upon their heads because of the work of Jesus. The tax collector got this with the little truth that he had. He understood that much, and that was enough for him to be justified. The Pharisee had the whole Old Testament, memorized mega portions, and he twisted it all up. He messed it all up, and he made it all about himself. So where are you on all this? Are you more like the Pharisee, trusting in your own righteousness? Or are you more like the tax collector, who recognizes that you got nothing 
going on that impresses God. But instead, you have to go to him with childlike faith that he would accept you on the merits of Christ alone. Those are two very different Gospels, aren't they? God hates one of those because it's not good news. It's bad news. But praise be to him that he's given us the true Gospel, the message of salvation that he loves, and he's given it to his people that we would get it out there. That's what I hope I'm doing with this series. I hope this has made sense today. If you have any thoughts or questions, please feel free to reach out. The Lord bless.